So as Gene comes to read the scripture, I just want to frame it a little bit. Um, Remember last Sunday, for those of you that were here, we talked about the wedding at Cana. And what I said is for the Gospel of John, the wedding of Cana sets up the whole rest of that Gospel. We have a similar situation this morning. And this is uh, Jesus going to his home synagogue and receiving the scroll of Isaiah and reading from Isaiah 61. And what Luke is doing in the midst of this fourth chapter is setting the precedent and the foundation for the rest of that gospel. But let's frame that because remember, teaching, healing, praying, building community, and confronting are the five elements that Jesus brings. Let's see why they might have had some trouble with this scripture. Luke 4, 14 to 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Holy wisdom, holy word. My classes will tell you that it's imperative that we understand some of the history around some of these elements. This is one of those times, and as I said, this scripture alone sets the precedent for everything else that's coming in the Gospel of Luke. Every element begins with this scripture. And Luke's intention is to make sure that we understand that. But what I also need to share is the history that goes behind this is is vital for us. And so let me just talk really briefly about some of that history. But to do that, we have to go back both 500 and 750 years long before Jesus was there. In Israel and in Judah, they were doing everything, so many things, that God did not want them to do. They were breaking law after law after law. And what that opened up was possibilities for other kingdoms that were powerful to come in and not only conquer them, but utterly destroy them. First, it was the northern kingdom of Israel as Assyria came down and just wiped them off the planet and scattered them to the four winds. Then it was Palestine and Judah 
in, including Jerusalem. And, and it, they were also totally destroyed. But not only destroyed, but these folks came in, this conquering army came in, destroyed the wall that surrounded Jerusalem, then went directly to the temple and tore it down piece by piece, stone by stone, burned everything that could be burned, and then walked in in some terrible ways and completely desecrated that holy ground. Desecrated. There was nothing left. But then again, scattered these people, took them to the four corners of the earth, places like all the way around the Fertile Crescent, to Babylon, Persia, Mesopotamia, uh, other areas. In, in, some went south and taken by the armies there into Egypt. Others even went as far as North Africa. We call it the diaspora, this, this, the, the disappearing, the spreading of the Jews. It, just, it was a terrible time in their history. They literally lost everything. They lost what they thought was their God. They lost their homes. They lost their possessions. They even, many of them, lost their faith. We need to understand that if we're to progress forward to really understand what Jesus is doing. Because the first Messiah then appeared in the world. It wasn't Jesus. The first Messiah was Cyrus, the king of Persia. Why? Because in that kingdom, Cyrus came back and said to the Jews, I want to invite you to go back to the land of your ancestors. I want you to go back and I invite you to rebuild your cities, to regain your selfhood, and even more important, to rebuild the temple and recapture that. And as a matter of fact, when your temple is rebuilt, allow me to come and worship your one God. What we need in the back of our minds in the midst of this is seeing those people come back. They had nothing but what they could carry on their backs. They had no idea what they were coming home to. No clue what it was. They were blinded to those kinds of things. They were as poor as it gets. And remember that they had spent a very long time as slaves and captives in foreign lands. And it's with that in mind that Isaiah begins to write these words. That's what's in mind. But there's one more piece that's so important for us to understand. God always seems to raise up one who helps kind of rebuild things. And in this case, God raises up two. The first was Nehemiah. And it's, it's one of my favorite chapters, and one of my favorite books in the Bible, because it's all about rebuilding in an appropriate way. Because Nehemiah comes back, and it's a miracle that he was even able to do this, comes back, and what he does because of the enemies that now surround Jerusalem, in the pitch darkness of night, he goes out to inspect the walls that have been torn down and sequentially goes from place to place to place to place. And then he begins to gather a certain group of leaders who begin to strategize on how they're going to rebuild the wall. And then those leaders go and they gather others and they strategize on what their role will be in the midst of rebuilding those walls. 
But there's, there was a missing piece in the midst of this. And so God raised up another, whose name was Ezra. Ezra was a priest. And in the midst of this rebuilding, Ezra comes in and reestablishes the holiness of the temple. Reestablishes their new kind of understanding of the law. And gives hope to everyone who walked in. And everyone who helped. Ezra provides that spiritual direction. Now, with all of that in mind, listen to these words again. And see if you can pinpoint why Jesus is quoting this. And what this might have to do with us. He lifts up this scroll. He opens to Isaiah 61. The spirit, the living breath of the God of our ancestors is now upon me or us. Because God has appointed me, us, to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me, us, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to those without vision or direction to the blind. To set anyone in captivity opportunities to find freedom and to proclaim that this year, this time, this moment is the time of God's favor. He then rolls up the scroll, hands it back to that person and makes this statement. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he goes on to challenge them to their very roots and they try and kill them. That's what we do. Luke sees the power of this scripture. Luke sees the potential within this. But it has to help us define what it is we are called to be and what it is we are called to do in the midst of the world today. And what is it? Sam, you're off the hook. <laughs> I will always tie up anything that wears organs. <laughs> no, that's not why. That's not, I really appreciate you being here. What I want to ask you this morning, as Sam sits here, and I'm going to take some actions in a second, depending on what your statements are here. <clears throat> What are those things in our own lives or those things that we see around us that, that bind us? What are those things that, that we know blind us? What are those things that we see in the world that seem to just hold us captive? Anybody? Fear. Fear is one of the most difficult things to overcome because it just completely wraps us up and defines almost everything else in our lives. That when we become fearful, no matter the reason, this is what it does. What else? What was it? Hmm. 
Bigotry blinds us. Blinds us to the needs around us. Doesn't allow us to see the greater kingdom of God. I heard something over here. Temptation. Temptation? Impatience. Impatience. <clears throat> oh, here's one. Impatience. Often we think we're impatient, but impatience doesn't allow us often to move forward in ways that God may want us to move forward, learn things that God would like us to learn. It is, it is one of those things that just also binds us up, particularly binds us up from moving forward. And impatience can become that defining element Oh, Sam, this is a long rope. <laughs> I'm so impatient to try and get this done. What else binds us up? What else? Blame. Shame? Blame. 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 Don't you just wish that sometimes... <laughs> People would just shut up. <laughs> Don't you? Jeff, what else? Uh, fatigue. What is it? Uh, fatigue. Oh, fatigue. <clears throat> fatigue is just something that it just it doesn't allow us to do anything. We get so tired. Let me have your other hand there, buddy. <laughs> it just does things that just doesn't allow us to go anyway, what? <laughs> Come on, man. But stop talking. <laughs> no. It's just when you're tired, you don't feel like you can do anything. I didn't tie this very well. Let me uh, let me redo this. There we go. I am going to say what I said before. Shame. So many of us live in shame. Do you need some help there? Can you breathe okay? There you go. Yeah, just wait. Um, shame makes us feel as though we just want to go unseen. And there are so many others, are there not? Things that bind us up things that don't allow us to be that beloved child of God, that miraculous creation of God. And this, and so many others, this is what it does. So what is Jesus saying in the midst of this? This scripture says that we have not only the responsibility or the authority, but we have the right to now mandate to free people up to overcome shame and be able to allow them to release that and become more, to open the eyes so that we can see differently. That feels better, doesn't it? <laughs> to be able to <laughs> talk about things, open ourselves to things that will heal us. And be that freeing place, that accepting place that says, come, come and be free. 
Come and help us know who you are, what you are, where you've been. We, in this church particularly, we talk about health, and part of that health is overcoming fatigue, of doing healthy things that allow us to just be free, live lives of energy and health. What's the role of the church? What's our role as the body of Christ with each other? Let me just do it this way. No. Okay. Um, and sometimes it's a struggle to just make sure that no one, no one who walks through these doors is bound and ultimately so that they can step out with confidence, with love, with grace, and with confidence into a different world than maybe they came in understanding. That is the role of the church, to rebuild not the walls, but to rebuild the lives i got to tell you, with Sam sitting here, one of the things we did at youth group last week was we brought the kids together and, well, we separated them into, into young men and young women and in, in, in perfect theological language said, let us know what, what, what sucks about being a teenager or a young person. The lists were long, friends. And what's our role even with our youth? is to help them overcome that, to find that safe place where they can come and watch themselves emerge with joy and peace and acceptance and understanding. Can you thank Sam for being up here like this? Okay. Now hear these words again. And think about the role of the church when it comes to these things that bind us, that bind each other, or oppress, and those things that we see around us. Poverty, shame, so many things that do not allow folks often to see themselves as miraculous children of an ever-creating God. The Spirit The living breath of God is upon us because God has anointed us to bring good news to unleash not only the poor, but all. God has sent us to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of vision and direction to those who may be blinded by things in their lives. To set anyone who finds themselves in captivity no matter what it may feel like or look like, to find freedom and to proclaim that this year, this time, this moment is the time of God's favor. It's Lent. And within Lent, what we seek to do is to create space create space to allow God to move us and fill us in even greater ways. And I want to encourage you so much to take that on because there are people in every one of our lives 
that need to be released, unleashed, set free. And we are being called by God every day to be Christ in the world and to allow that to happen. And not just allow it, but to make sure that it happens. Will you pray with me? God, as we look at this scripture that defined for Luke the rest of that gospel, we ask that you help us see those places and those relationships and those people in our lives that need to be released. God, there are places in every one of our lives where we know things are binding us, tying us up like fear, shame. And yet that is not of you. Help us find freedom in you. Help us find joy and hope and love in you. But again, help us see this world through your eyes and those in need of being set free. Set free. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.